Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Todorovic, joined by my co-host, Benjamin Franklin. How are you today? Wait. Yes? Doctor, should I say... What? Asprof. Well, I'm not associate professor yet, but I have... Congratulations, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. If New I could, job. If I could reach the button, I'd press the applause button. Oh, that's going to um, be the problem. It's going to be wah, wah, wah. Okay. Well, it's not that funny. Uh, I, yes. But congratulations, I, Michael. If you didn't know everyone, uh, he's basically put it on every social he's got. But anyway, if, you, if you're not aware, Michael has just been appointed an associate professor at Bond University, also in Queensland, Gold Coast, yeah. in the School of Medicine. So well Thank done. Thank you. Thank you. And yes. Very- very well deserved. Cheers, cheers. I appreciate that. Yes, I begin in December. Uh, I will be leaving Griffith University, which I've been at for about a decade now. Uh, it's been a while. I've so had a this great podcast time. is going to become Doctor Matt and Ass Michael and Ass Mike. Ass Ass Pro. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't want people to call me Ass Pro. Uh, yeah, just Doctor Mike or Mike. Uh, but you can call me associate professor. Uh, yeah, School of Medicine. So that starts in December. So I'm keen. Congratulations. All the med students at Bond University, I'm coming for you. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I look forward to it. So thanks, Matt. Uh, I wish you were coming with me, to be honest. But well, unfortunately, there's only enough room for uh, As for you saw my video, well, GIF, a millhouse plane on my own Yeah. on the, what do you call it? Teeter-totter. Seesaw. Yeah, I think that's a. I think it's a bit sad. I mean, when I first found you on the streets and brought you into Griffith, you know, you were sort of alone, dishevelled, covered in your own faecal material. Not much I, has changed. No, that's a good point. It's a good point. All right, Matt. Uh, how how are you? I suppose good. Everything okay? 
I'm well. We've got a new neon sign for those of you who are watching this on the YouTube channel, and I do recommend because we will be putting images up as we talk. Today's podcast, which is talking about buffers, uh, there's going to be a couple of not necessarily equations, well, I suppose they are equations, that might be a little bit easy if you could see them, and we're going to pop those up on the screen as we talk about them. Again, on the YouTube channel, go to Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike on the YouTube channel, subscribe, and watch this as a video if you like. And you'll see our new neon sign. It says live, live on air. How good? Live on air. Live on air. <laughs> well, we do. So we are live on air and we do live on air because we need to breathe oxygen in order for survival. Buffers. Buffers, Matt. So, uh, so that's, my, the, that's today? That's today. And I'm going to give you my definition of a buffer, whether it's – do you have a definition of one in front of you? Yeah, I usually do it after I wash my car. Okay, you Buffett. All right, or listen to Jimmy Buffett. Buffett. Yeah, or Warren Buffett. Yeah, yeah. Or go uh, and eat uh, as much food as possible at a Buffett. A Buffett. A buffet. Yeah, that one's probably a bit of a stretch. But for me, when I talk to my students, I say, okay, a buffer is something that can resist drastic changes in pH. And when I say something, it's usually a chemical, right? Okay. Or a substance that resists drastic changes in pH. Now, that then leads off to the next thing, which is what the hell's pH. Mm. But I want to know, do you have a, a definition of buffer that's different or is it pretty yeah, much that? I would have used that. Okay. But I pretty guess good. I would have probably, and I'm, I'm sure you'll correct me here, that I would have said, yeah, there are buffers that are doing it chemically, but then physiologically as well. Sure, sure. But it yeah. probably is, is it a buffer? intrinsically a chemical that has been altered though. Yeah. So we'll get to this, but when we generally look physiologically at a buffer system you know, like the lungs or the kidney, yeah. they are physiological, but they are playing around with chemicals. Yeah, and we'll get there. Mm. But then the question is, what's pH, right? And I think everyone that's studying biology... Something that measures hydrogen. Yeah, and I think this is the thing, is that uh, it's pH... I talk to students, I go, do you know what pH is? And they go, yeah, it's acidic or basic, right? And they have this sort of nebulous understanding of it, but it's not a deep understanding. And I think you do need to have, and it's not even that deep, really. At the end of the day, like you said, pH is a measure of the concentration of hydrogen ions in a solution. That's it. Now, the thing is, hydrogen ions are only one type of ions that or ion that we have in the body, mm. right? So to name others, we've got what? Sodium, potassium, calcium, chloride, magnesium, bicarbonate. So, so any, of any, any of these atoms that have a charge? Yeah, or elements or Ele- compounds that are charged, yeah. right? Okay. So if they have a positive or negative charge, they're an ion and hydrogen is simply just one of them. But the thing is that if you – so if I were to take your blood right now and I were to measure – and so if you do get a blood test – you actually get this panel and it tells you the concentration of some of the things in your blood and it tells you the concentration of some of the ions. So that would blood. be in electrolytes? Yeah. In, in the electrolyte section of your full blood count or your complete blood count? Yeah, and it will say things like sodium ion, 142 millimoles per litre. Or milliequivalents. Or milliequivalents. I, I think it's using that more frequently now, right? It is, yeah. yeah. Um, but let's just say for today's sake, right, we say millimolar. Mm-hmm. Right, little m and a big m, 142 millimolar, which is the same as saying millimoles per liter. 
And this if, is sodium you're referring sodium. to. Sodium. And if I were to do potassium, it would be what? Four, five? Depends if you're in the cell or, or you're in blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So four, five mil- millimolar yeah. or millimoles per liter. So obviously you've got more sodium than potassium. And then if I were to measure your hydrogen ions, it would be 0.00004 millimolar. How many zeros? So uh, zero. Seven th- of them. Right? Then a dot. No. And then oh. four zeros. Okay. And then a four okay. millimolar. All right. So you've got 142 millimolar of sodium, about four to five millimolar of potassium, and then you've got 0.00004 millimolar of hydrogen. So you've got really low numbers of hydrogen in your blood. Okay. But the thing is, if you look at this blood panel, it never says that for hydrogen. You actually never see anywhere the hydrogen ion concentration. And one of the reasons why is because there's so many zeros there that if you make a mistake by one zero, if you add one, yeah, you add one or remove one, you're you're dead, right? Because you're changing the concentration by 10. So what some very smart people that definitely aren't us have done is they've figured out another way to write the concentration of hydrogen ions. Right. And so one of the ways that you can do this, and I'll put this up on the screen if you're watching it as a YouTube video, is that if you were to take that concentration of hydrogen ions as 0.00004 millimolar and turn it into just molar because it's easy to play around with units of measurement if you get the full unit of measurement. So a millimolar is a thousandth of a molar. Right. So add another three. Oh, this is what I got seven from. Yes, that's right. So if you move so the a decimal, molar of it, it's seven zeros. Exactly. Yeah, okay. You move that decimal point back three places, and now you have zero point zero 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 zero. That's four zeros, and then a four molar. So again, it's the same concentration. It's just in molar. Now we can play around with it. So if you were to get your calculator out, and if you have done some basic maths, you'd know that one way to get rid of zeros is to take the log of something. So in this case, if you write in your calculator the log of 0.00000004, what your calculator will spit out is negative 7.4. And the reason why it says that is because it the decimal points are in the negative direction and they are the, and there's seven of them. There's seven zeros. Okay. Right? So it's negative 7.4. Right. Easy. Yeah. But the thing is you can't write negative 7.4 on a chart because you don't have a negative hydrogen ions. Yeah. So again, simple maths. If you want to get rid of the negative of one side of the equation, you get rid of the negative on the other. So it's the negative log of hydrogen ions equals 7.4. Great. But to write the negative log of hydrogen ions is a bit... Seems silly. Yeah. So there's another way to write negative log. You write the power of hydrogen ions. Or the potential of hydrogen. Or the potential. Which one do you prefer? Power, definitely. So the power of hydrogen ions is 7.4. And when you shorten it? Abbreviate it. Abbreviate it. Get rid of the hour in power and get and then just keep the capital H. So you get a lowercase p, capital H for hydrogen equals 7.4. And that's the pH. That's what that pH is, that's means. That's the pH of your blood. So it so is the So we got there in four, 14 minutes, we got there. That's not bad. That's not bad. Um, a bit slower wait. than your videos, but. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, my videos are very good. If you want to watch this as a video, please feel free. I think you've already told them that. Maybe about three or four times. Uh, okay. The other important point that people need to understand, particularly students who are studying, is that the lower the pH. Yeah, so this is because you've got the, ne- the, the variability. Let's say it first. The so negative log. Yeah, but I haven't even said what oh. it is. The lower the pH, the higher the concentration of hydrogen ions, 
because because it's a negative log. So yeah, the, the, gra- <laughs> the greater the great now you mm. yeah the greater amount of hydrogen in Keep the solution. Going. Yeah, because you've done the negative log, the number will actually go down. Yes. So if if you will allow me for two seconds to give another example. So the first example we said zero point well, seven zeros and then a four molar. Let's make that a, because that's a pretty small number, right? Let's make the number a little bit bigger so that there's more hydrogen ions in the solution. So let's, for example, get rid of- Six zeros. uh, Let's get rid of two. Let's make it five zeros. Five zeros. Yeah, so 0.000004 molar. And then go through the same process. The log of that is, because now there's only five zeros, you need to count. 5.4. Negative 5.4 and then do the negative log and it's, 5.4. 5.4. So the pH in this case is 5.4. So as you can see, we've made the concentration of hydrogen greater, but the number has gone down. Yeah. And like you said, because it's the inverse log of the concentration of hydrogen ions. Now, hopefully this doesn't confuse people, but it's such an important concept because it tells you that every drop in pH is a change in the concentration by 10 times. So going from, for example... And that's so when we have the seven point four, yeah, which is what we're typically used to, yeah, that is a pH that would be physiologically expected. Yes. So in your body, particularly if you're referring to your blood, your arterial blood or your venous blood, that you would expect the pH to be about seven point four. Now, if yeah. this was to go to five, you're not alive. No, a pH of five in your blood is pretty damaging. Um but Probably the only location where you might find a pH getting quite acidic would be your stomach, right? Maybe there might urine, be other your urine as well, potentially. Um, yep. Vaginal secretions. Actually, I've got a, a strip here of different pHs. Do we need okay. to go through? Yeah. So common. Yep. Uh, so the range. The so so the the range oh that yeah, we okay. so the homeostatic range for us to be happy and healthy in is seven point three five to seven point four five. And that's what, and smack in the middle of that 7.4, which is what we've spoken about. So anything above 7.45, we term basic, and there's not enough hydrogen ions in the in our blood or, or body fluids. And anything below 7.35, we term too acidic, and there's too many hydrogen ions in that solution. Is that correct? Yeah. So we want to sit in that 7.35, 7.45 range. And the typical range of pH just generally goes from zero to 14, right? Yeah, that's that's the overall pH. Why doesn't it go beyond fourteen? It can. Okay. Yeah, but we don't generally see that. That's a very low concentration of hydrogen because what that tells you, pH of fourteen means it's zero point zero 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 one. Right. That's a pH of fourteen. That's a very low concentration of hydrogen But yeah, it goes higher. Okay. You can have a pH lower than zero. So you know. Okay. All right. So with the pH uh, measuring strip yep. that I would use sometimes for my pool, okay. I'm measuring the pH of my pool, yep. some of the common examples you may see in everyday life. So, Like in the body? No, just everywhere in the world. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, just yeah. so you can kind of gauge what these things are. Yeah. So we've spoke about this around 7.35 to 7.45 is what our blood and our body tissue should be. Yep. Happy, healthy. Yep. But water, so water that comes out of the tap is slightly acidic, so that would be about seven. Yep. Okay. If you w- we want to go, well, to wouldn't you say that's neutral, not slightly acidic? Just, just r- relative to our blood. 
Okay. But let's just say on the whole pH yeah, on, spectrum, on the pH, yep. it is smack bang neutral in the middle. Yep. And we'll, I want to explain why after you go through this list. Does that just mean it's, it's the baseline measure? Nope. I'll no. tell you why. I'll okay. tell you why. But keep going. Universal solvent? Just shut up. Okay. Uh, six. So a pH of six <laughs> is urine and saliva. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Five. And this is going to be interesting. Yeah. Five. Well, black coffee. Right. Right. Um, That's what you have. That could, no, I have. Like a psychopath. I, I don't really have that. You anymore. have a long black. <laughs> Matt, Matt would always order. I would order a short macchiato with one sugar because I'm a sophisticated guy. And Matt would order. You're a short guy. A, a long black. Psychopath. Yeah. Isn't that what psychopaths order? I've been told that before. I'm not sure if that's been substantiated, but let's. Let's continue. N soft drink. N well, some of the some oh, parts yeah. of the world won't use the term soft drink. Um, maybe pop. pop so, soda pop. 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 Tweety Bird would say or soda. Pop. Yeah. So with that said, no. And, no let's and, go back to it. Why it's acidic? If you were going to now talk or later? It. No, later. Oh, okay. Because it's carbonated. Yeah, yeah. So it's keep got carbonated. All I, all I will say is it's got uh, additional CO two in it than normal water would, which is important. Mm. Keep that in mind. Yes, I think we go back to that. Okay. And that's actually. Can I just? Add one point to that. If you were to have water yeah. and get a straw yeah. and just blow bubbles into it. Yep. You're carbonating you, it. And you had a pH strip in the water. Yep. It will start to get more acidic. That's an experiment I do in the labs with my However, students. yes, it won't be to the extent of soda water. No, it won't. And I'll- Because that's we'll, under pressure. We'll come back to that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Then we can go to um, four, a pH of four. Yeah. And that could be- some uh, juices. Sorry? Like tomato juice. Oh, okay. Um, Beetle juice. <laughs> then we get to three. So now it's getting more acidic juices. So mm -hmm. grape, grapefruit juice, mm -hmm. orange juice. Yeah. Then we get to lemon juice, even more acidic. Is that two? It's two. Yeah. But that's uh, same with vinegar. That's a two. That's two. both acetic acid, right? Yeah, acetic acid. I'm not sure what lemon juice is. Citric acid. Citric acid. There we go. Yep. And Which the body both produces. Produces, both. yeah. Yeah. Um, and gastric acid, also stomach. A stomach. So that, that would be hydrochloric acid. Right. So a, a hydrogen with a chloride. And then we get to one. Yep. Which, no, actually, this would be further concentrated hydrochloric acid. So yep. this would be between meals or during meals? Oh, well, it depends on. Well, I mean, you produce like you, the most you become, during. Yeah. So you, your but stomach becomes more, I guess, depending on what you ate. Yeah. But Typically, it could be more acidic whilst you've got food in there. Yes. So, so what you're saying here is And that then lastly, zero is battery acid. Right. Delicious. Um, or hydrochloric acid because this- Oh, no, no. It wouldn't be zero. It'd be one to three. I think your stomach acid is between one to yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I said it. Battery. Okay. Um, and that's why they say battery acid can kind of eat through a lot of things. Makes sense. Now- an important point here is that you've gone through everything from seven to zero, yeah, which means most acidic, which means it has the highest concentration of hydrogen ions, even though that pH number is low. So remember, again, we're going to iterate this or reiterate over and over and over again, that all you are measuring when you're measuring pH is the concentration of free hydrogen ions in that solution. You're not measuring how many hydrogen ions are there bound up to other things. Mm. If the hydrogen ions are bound up to something else, buffered. it's that's again that yeah, that's buffered, which we're going to talk about, and you don't measure it. It changes the pH, yeah. right? Yeah. So it's not measuring anything else, just hydrogen ions. Are you going to have a look at things above seven? Yep. So now we're going to go basic. 
So the num so again, the number of hydrogen ions is simply lower. That's yep. it. So now they're dropping. All right, go on. So we spoke about seven being water, yep. which you're going to come back to. I that's, will. That's fresh water. Eight would be seawater. Oh, okay. Then we go to nine, which is baking soda. All right. Is that another name? Bicarbonate soda. Yeah. So which is, we're going to get back to as well. And so a lot of sense. cleaning products utilize the changes in pH. So if you, so for instance, I could be wrong here. Please Probably. correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, you know I will. <laughs> Not you, listeners, because oh, okay. you won't know. Well, excuse me? But sometimes say if I do the clothes washing. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I can you tell know you that, don't do it very often. You know that's, that's how you pronounce it. <laughs> the clothes Well, I don't want, I don't want to say washing because then it could be, you know, washing the dishes. Yeah. Which could be similar in a way. But anyway. Anyway, here we go. Where you have, you know, in the top of the washing machine where you have that tray that slides out and you can put in the powder or the tablets yeah. and then you can put the softener. Yep. My assumption is the softener is acidic. Right. And the powder is basic. Okay. So, because sometimes I use baking soda just in exchange for the washing powder and then I use vinegar. Why? Is washing powder too expensive for you? No, no. It's just another another means of producing the... The cleanliness of clothes. Really? But and you then, can also do and that. And then with- do you urinate in the softener because <laughs> it's slightly good, acidic? That's a good point. No, it's not acidic enough. Anyway. <laughs> you don't need enough protein. So I think a lot of cleaning products just use the change in pH to, to help the um, the process. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah, great. So a lot of the um, home remedies, I think, utilize things like vinegar yeah. and things like basic baking soda. Yeah, because it's horrible. I mean, I love vinegar. But it ten, tends to be these "quote unquote" home remedies are uh, just things that tend to Not taste fe- awful. Okay, I thought you were going to say for your wellness. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm referring to. Wellness of your. And there's no um, evidence for, for your shower cubicle. I, I shower in vinegar. It's <laughs> horribly painful when I go to washing wash my face. What are we up to? Okay, bacon soda is 19. Because you're spending about 40. You're taking longer Ten, talking about the this milk of magnesia. Of magnesia. Magne- yeah, milk of magnesia. I don't even know what that is. I don't know either. Then we go to ammonia, which is going to be important later. That's going to be 11, yeah. ammonia. Yeah. That's going to be important because that's one way that we can get rid of hydrogen, right? Yeah. Uh, soap, bake, uh, oven cleaners, 13, yep. and drain cleaners, 14. Okay. Okay. Drain cleaner. Great. So when you look at this pH scale, seven being water, Anything below seven, so down to zero, being acidic, and then anything above that being basic or yep. alkaline. Yep. So we need to talk alkaline about, or basic. Yeah, um, it's all about the quantity of hydrogen ions. Yeah, let's first just define something called an acid. So an acid is any substance that donates or releases a free hydrogen ion into the solution. So hydrogen ion itself isn't an acid but it does make the environment acidic, right? But an acid can release a hydrogen. So for example- So does that mean, can I go first? Okay. It's a question though, so you're going to talk regardless. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at the stronger acids, yeah. does that just mean they are more likely to give up their hydrogen easier? Correct. So it's not it about is. they've got more hydrogen to hold, nope. hold it onto. They're just like, take it. Yeah. I don't care about this anymore. They're fickle. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. They're volatile. They're more than, you know, they're very- So when you look at hydrochloric acid, which is a hydrogen and a chloride ion, yeah. 
joined together. So a H as, plus yeah. and a CL negative. As soon as it like hits water, it just like take it. Yes. Whereas say um, tomato juice, it's still got hydrogen, yeah. but it's just not as willing to give it up. Yeah. So strong acid versus a weak acid. Okay. And again, it's simply how willing is it to release the hydrogen ion? Um, and so for example, like you said, so hydrochloric acid in itself is HCl. Like you said, a hydrogen ion and a chloride ion. That's the acid because the definition of it is, like you said, when it's in a solution like water, it will donate its hydrogen, all of its hydrogen ions into the solution, now making the solution acidic. But if the chloride decided to stay bound to the hydrogen ion, the, wa- the water wouldn't be acidic. It'll mm. just be the same pH as water. Because again, it's about the free, the concentration of free hydrogen ions. Got it. Okay. And like I said, the strong acids and weak acids, depending on how willing it is to let go of the hydrogen ions. Yep. Um, water is pH 7, and I'll tell you why it's pH 7. Because again, if you take water, which is H2O, water is slightly positive and we're slightly about, negative. We're talking about water that's got nothing in it? Just pure water. So that, what is that called? Deionized water or something? Yes, but it will become ionized itself. Ionized means it has a charge. So water is partially positively charged and partially negatively charged. And what you'll have is water will, whether it likes it or not, will disassociate. And it disassociates into hydrogen ions, right? Mm -hmm. H plus and hydroxyl ions, which is OH negative. Now the thing is, Water is a perfect 50-50 split of H plus and OH negative. The perfect split of something that can make something acidic, but also something that can mop up okay. the hydrogen ions to neutralize it, what we call a conjugate base. Mm-hmm. And so it can mop it up. So what I'm saying is the reason why the pH of water is seven is it's a perfect balance between free hydrogen ions and bound hydrogen ions because it. it can mop it all up and release it the same. So it's in this perfect equilibrium as water. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. All right, so that's why water is a pH of seven. But then anything that just releases more hydrogen ions than absorbs becomes more acidic. Anything that absorbs more hydrogen ions than it releases, that's a base. Got it. So acids release hydrogen ions, bases mop them up. They yep. absorb them. So other examples of bases can include bicarbonate. So, so then what you're saying is a base mm-hmm. in a solution is – it's going to donate hydroxyl ions or, no. or it w- or just pulls the hydrogen into it. Yes, it just absorbs hydrogen ions. That's it. So a lot of people think that when you're measuring the pH of something and it's basic or alkaline, that you're actually measuring the concentration of the base. You're not. You're simply measuring the concentration of the hydrogen ions, but there's fewer hydrogen ions because there is a base present that has mopped them up. So they basic- Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So bases should be called hydrogen- Mops. Yeah. Or hydrogen suckers. Yes. Yes, that's right. Okay. Exactly right. Um, all right. Does that make sense? It does. Great. All right. Perfect. So we've spoken about what pH is. We've spoken about um, the fact that the pH is the measurement of the hydrogen ions. The question we now need to ask ourselves is why do we care? Like, why do we care so much about the pH of a solution? Right? Because we do care about the concentration of sodium ions, right? And the concentration of potassium ions. But 
we're not, we don't give it its own measurement like this one does. And we don't seem to really. Okay. So like, so with what's the range, what's the, so do you know what the P uh, sorry, what the uh, sodium homeostatic range could potentially. Oh, be I, I, the, the, the normal levels is 135 to 145 milliequivalents or millimolars. Yeah. Okay. This is in extracellular fluid. Yep. And so if you were to have additional amounts, I'm guessing the, the first main thing you're likely to see is water will stick with it. And yep. so you're more likely to have greater volumes of fluid, fluid mm. within extracellular fluid. So if yeah. you were to ingest more sodium or you were to have more sodium extracellularly, probably one of the first things you'll see is greater uh, volume within your extracellular but also intravascular space. So you're talking about for sodium specifically. Yeah. 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 Now, because potassium is less abundant extracellularly than it is intracellularly, if you were to have an increased amount of potassium extracellularly, that's going to cause a change particularly in excitable tissue. Yeah. So tissue like muscles and nerves because the gradient changes somewhat. Yes. And so that's why potassium is probably a more concerning ion if it's out of range, probably similar to calcium yep. because it's more impactful on excitable tissue, which is the change in gradients across the membrane yep. than sodium. Not saying that sodium won't, but I think the most immediate effect of sodium changes extracellularly yep. with more fluid shift issues. Yep. So this is why it's more linked to hypertension. Yes. Because you've got greater volume, therefore greater blood volume, therefore greater cardiac output and therefore blood pressure. Now, when you do this with hydrogen, yeah. it's a totally different kind of thing. Yes, and the, the point I was trying to get out of you and I didn't, I didn't ask it properly was, so if you take the, the sodium range, right, that's acceptable, 135 millimolar to 145 millimolar, within that range is acceptable. Then compare that to the, oh, you mean the hydrogen range. It's so tight. Yeah, hydrogen yeah. range is 0. 0.00004 to 0. 0.00005, what is it, 5, something like that. But as you can see, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's super tight. Very tight. Like uh, what is it, an order of magnitude, like uh, f- four orders of magnitude more tightly controlled, the, the range, than sodium and potassium is, right? And that's my point is that such minor fluctuations in pH are unacceptable. Yeah. But you can have these relatively major, comparatively, fluctuations in sodium and we don't really care too much, right? As long as it doesn't go outside 135, 145 millimoles per litre. So the point is why? So why do we need to maintain such a tight range for hydrogen ions unlike the other ions? What, do, what does hydrogen ions do in the body that we're so worried about? Well, the, the first one that comes to mind is proteins. And proteins are also surprisingly going to be part of our buffer system. Yeah. So these are chemicals or molecules that will try to overcome changes or significant changes in the pH. Yeah. But if you have too much hydrogen, so your pH is too low. Yeah. Or the opposing end, not enough hydrogen and it's basic. Yeah. The way that the proteins potentially can try to buffer the hydrogen in excess or not enough out is they change either 
as we said, with a base, they bring soak up the hydrogen or they drop them off. And with a protein, because proteins are just made up of amino acids, so they're just long lines of amino acids. So if you were to look at a protein in a linear form, it would just be a long caterpillar of amino acids joined to each other with like Lego blocks, right? Yeah, so we need to remember that DNA gets transcribed into RNA. RNA gets translated into amino acids, which are linked up together like a big long pearl necklace yep. where each pearl is an amino acid and each amino acid has a different characteristic or personality, yes. right? And so, the side ends of the amino acids, so there's one end called the carboxyl end and there's another one called the amino end, they do have the capacity to accept and to donate hydrogen. But before that, but before that, we need to realise that when you've got this big long stretch of amino, amino acids. acids that because of their different characteristics, so some might be acidic in a normal solution, you know, pH, when, when the blood is pH 3.5 to pH 4.5, or the body fluids are, some are going to be acidic amino acids, some are going to be basic amino acids, some will be hydrophobic, some will be hydrophilic, and there's other varying characteristics, right? Yeah, yeah other... Some will be positively charged, some will be negatively yeah. charged. Like there's all these different characteristics that are, are only those characteristics in that solution. And so what that then means is according to those characteristics, the amino acids... Allows that, the protein to fold. It folds into a certain conformation and that conformation will have functional you know, yeah, yeah. aspects to it. So a, an amino acid chain might fold into a protein that is now a carrier protein or it might be a receptor, receptor yeah. or it might be an, a, a neurotransmitter or an enzyme. But it only has that function because it's folded in the appropriate environment. But like you were saying, if the pH goes out, so it goes too acidic or too basic, it's going to fold differently, yeah, right? Because it's going to change slightly the personality. And if it folds differently, then its function changes and everything that does everything in the body of proteins, right? Yes, yes. So a slight change in pH changes the function of the protein. Yes. And that's the problem is that you can't have these fluctuations. But if we go back to what you were saying, what are the two side chains on the amino acids? Because this is important when it comes to understanding because we haven't really spoken about buffers yet, which is, you know, 37 minutes into the podcast. Um, what are these side chains? Okay, should I should talk about the actual structure of amino acid really quickly? Yeah, yeah, Okay, yeah. so the amino acid, they're all the same, as in like they've got the same structure, but it's just the ends and the end group that makes the subtle difference. But it's a an organic molecule, so the centre point is a carbon, off one, so the carbon has kind of four bits hanging off it. One bit hanging off it is a hydrogen. That remains the same, I believe, in all 20 different amino acids. The, at one end, we have an amino end. And that's why it's called an amino acid. And this would have a nitrogen and three hydrogens. Yep, NH, uh, NH. Three negative? No, NH2. NH2. And then it has the capacity to soak up another one. That's why it's a, an acceptor. And at the other end is a carboxyl, which is another carbon, two oxygens. Yeah. The possibility of a hydrogen or just a double O negative. Mm. Now, the other end of the carbon is an N group. And these this is what makes every amino acid different. Yeah. So whatever hangs off that end will make it subtly Give different. Give it that personality. Yeah. But you're right. So the, the two important things here when it comes to understanding the role of amino acids with 
acids and bases. So firstly, it's called an amino acid. Actually, let, I think let's get back to these side chains in a second because I think one thing I want to highlight first is that we've said that we don't want drastic changes in pH because it damages proteins, right? Changes their function potentially and everything that's important in the body is a protein. So that's important. But then the thing is, so where do these hydrogen ions come from, right? And so in the body, the body has a multitude of ways of producing hydrogen ions. Yeah. So you can obviously ingest it through your food, right? But anything that has the word acid in it, we've spoken about its definition, can donate hydrogen. hydrogen. Ions. So amino acids can donate hydrogen ions. Fatty acids donate hydrogen ions. Uh, carbohydrate metabolism, so glycolysis releases hydrogen ions. Krebs cycle releases hydrogen ions. Lactic acid or lactate, lactate. hydrogen ions. Citric acid, hydrogen ions. Um, uh, acetic acid, hydrogen ions, right? So your body can release hydrogen ions in a multitude of ways. And remember, this is another important point. The whole reason why we undergo metabolism is to make ATP. But in order to make ATP, particularly a lot of ATP, we take these molecules like glucose and fatty acids and glycerol and amino acids and we rearrange them to pull off the hydrogens and the electrons to take to the mitochondria to yep. produce oxygen. Oh, with ATP. ATP yeah. Yeah. With, with oxygen usually. But in doing yeah. so, we release a bunch of hydrogen ions. So hydrogen ions are produced and hydrochloric acid in the stomach produces hydrogen ions. So it's produced a number of different ways. And the thing is, unlike sodium, where we've got such a, a, a wide range, is where it can just travel by itself in the bloodstream, no harm, no foul, as long as it's not outside of those parameters. Mm -hmm. Hydrogen ion really can't because if you increase it just ever so slightly. So again, 0 0.000035 to 0 0.000045 millimolar. That's the, that's the range that you've got. Pretty small range, pretty yeah. tight. Yeah. You get sick. Proteins, are, you know, they would, disintegrate. Would, they'll change their, their structure, structure, <laughs> their structure, therefore the function. Yes. And so now going back to amino acids, like you were saying, they've got the capacity to release a hydrogen ion, hence why it's an acid. So the two side change is that carboxyl, which is COOH, or the amine, which is NH, I said NH2, which it can be, but also NH3, Yeah. right? So if the solution that it's in, if an amino acid is in a, is in a solution where there's heaps of free hydrogen ions, so it's slightly acidic, amino acids can take on board hydrogen ions. Yeah, and, right? this, is, and this is why when I learned the biochemistry and I had to memorise the 20 different amino acids. Oh, okay, someone's, someone's you smart. Had, we had to... Remember, Name two. We had to remember the <laughs> alanine, phenylalanine. <laughs> uh, anyway, glycerine. Yeah. Anyway, song by Bush. So the amino acids, the twenty types, would yeah. fit into three categories: mm -hmm. neutral, mm -hmm. acidic, basic. Right. And they—that's how they behaved in those different solutions. Right. Yeah. 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 So and they had the capacity to act as a base, mm. act as an acid, or sit neutrally. Yes. So, for example, if uh, amino acids are, or certain types of amino acids are in an acidic solution where there's a lot of free hydrogen ions, the amine side can take an H plus on board and become NH3 positive, yeah. right? And the carboxyl end will be COOH. Yep. 
But then if the solution that it's in is too basic, well, the carboxyl can get rid of its hydrogen ion yep. to be COO negative and the NH3 plus will get rid of its hydrogen ion to be NH2. Yeah. Yep. So, so what that's telling us is that amino acids have the capacity to not just donate hydrogen ions, but also accept them. Mm. And that, by definition, is a buffer. So one type of buffer that the body has is the amino acid buffer, right? Okay. So, so now we're transitioning to- I jumped to, ahead? No, no, that's fine. Okay. I think we just need to separate this point before we move into the systems of how we buffer. Yeah. But it's important to note here, if there are significant fluctuations, and when we say significant, it's really very minor yeah. fluctuations in hydrogen, either becoming too acidic, so below 7.35, mm-hmm. or too basic, above 7.45. Yep. What's going to happen is proteins through their amino acids are going to start to the interplay with these free hydrogen or lack of free hydrogen yeah. is going to ch- start to change the structures of proteins. Then, therefore, they're going to all stop working, and this is leading to the problems with pH imbalances. Yeah. Now we can go to how the body has remed- remedied these changes through buffering, the different buffering systems. Yes. And so I've mentioned one, the amino acid buffer. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add to the amino acid buffer? Because I think no, that, no. that pretty much covered it, right? So these would just be considered protein buffers. Protein buffers, yeah. And so that could be both extracellularly and intracellularly, right? Yeah. Pro- well, yes, exactly. Mainly intracellularly protein buffers, I would say. They predominantly work inside cells, but they can work in blood plasma because you've obviously got plasma proteins. Yeah. Yeah. Now, with that, should we just mention that if there is a change in hydrogen abundance, yeah, because that could be becomes more acidic or more, more basic, yeah, that there is a mechanism that the cells have to exchange hydrogen with potassium. Yes, which then just means so if you were to be acidic, yeah. so if your blood was to become acidic, so you're saying it's going above. Sorry. The, the pH is going below 7.35. Yep. Yeah. So too many hydrogen ions. Too many hydrogen ions. Freely floating through your solutions of your body. One of the ways that the body has to try to deal with this abundance of hydrogen yep. is it exchanges hydrogen for potassium across the membrane of cells. All right. Hydrogen is H+. Yeah. Potassium is what? K+. plus. Right. So on a, on a chart or on paper, I should say, sorry. They're both a positive thing and they're both a single atom. So yep. in a way, just going by charge, they're interchangeable. Yes, yes. And the body doesn't like to be out of whack in any way. It doesn't like concentrations to be out of whack. It doesn't like pH to be out of whack and it doesn't like charges to be out of whack. And so if you've got an accumulation of hydrogen in the extracellular fluid, so the blood plasma and all the all – the, solutions outside of your cells, one, it's too acidic, right? Mm -hmm. So it's going out of whack. So it's like, oh, I need to get rid of these hydrogen ions from the solution. I'm going to lock them away in the cells. So it pulls them into the cells. But now you're pulling a positive thing into a cell. It's getting too positive inside. That's right, yeah. We need to balance that out by throwing a positive thing out. But it doesn't want to throw the same positive hydrogen out. That's pointless. So it throws the potassium out. Yeah. And that doesn't change the pH. Because remember, potassium... Sorry, cells are kind of potassium bags, so they just speak for yourself. Full, <laughs> full of potassium, yep. so they have a lot to give up. Yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. But 
If you're, but we know, we said, if I measured your blood potassium, should be about what, four millimolar or four millimoles per litre. Yeah. If the cells are, and remember, when I take your blood, I'm measuring extracellular fluid. That's right. Not intracellular. Yep. Hence why the potassium's low, because most of it is in the intracellular cells. But now the potassium's moving out because it's such an acidic environment, it's swapping for hydrogen ions. So do, does your blood potassium levels go up? Yeah. In the acute phase of this pH shift, yes. So you can become hyperkalemic yep. when you have acidosis. Correct. In the early stages. Yeah. So somebody might present with the side effects of hyperkalemia. Yeah, that's right. Which I assume would be issues with nerve conduction. Yeah. Consciousness maybe. Muscles. Muscles. Yeah. Right. So anything to do with an action potential might be a bit... That's affected. right. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. And that's so, going to be a, an important clinical point to consider Yeah, is if let's just say the acidity was caused by diabetes, so a, a ketone problem. So that's- Oh, now you're going, you're really jumping ahead here. But oh, you, you mentioned ketones, so that's- I have Well, well not you mentioned the precursor to it being in fatty acid metabolism. Yeah. Okay. So ketones- Wait, no, no, no. Don't even go into that. Let's just say- Somebody's got a, a condition where their hydronines are just too high. Just okay. start, just do that. The, what would likely happen is that shifting, so the potassium goes into the blood, and so in the acute phase, they are likely to be hyperkalemic. So then they go into a hospital and the doctor measures their blood and they go, they're hyperkalemic. That's right. They might be inclined to treat that to try and reduce it. They would want to address the root cause, so why are they in a metabolic acidosis? Yeah. But that would also be a consideration that they would have to take, yeah. So they might go, ooh, I realise that they're hyperkalemic, but it's not because they've got excess potassium in the body, it's just because the potassium shifted and that's due to the acidosis. So then if they treat the acidosis, it should hopefully, hopefully treat the hyperkalemia. Correct. But my assumption would be the body, i.e. the kidneys, might go, oh, I've got a lot of potassium in my blood. I'm going to filter it out and pee it out. That's right, exactly. So and then it you can't come back in, so now you right. might become... Hypokalemic. Hypokalemic. That's right. And then you need, paradoxically, from, due to your original hypokalemia, more potassium put into the body. Yes, that's right. Right, yeah. so is that one of the reasons... Oh, anyway, okay. And vice versa. So if you were um, alka oh. alkaline, yeah. you would have the opposite shift. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. So, so potassium would go into in, the cell. And, and you'd become hypokalemic. Yeah. That's right. And then somebody might be inclined to give you potassium and then you would be hyperkalemic after that case. Yeah. All right. Interesting. All right. So that's a good point. I'm glad you, you, you focused on that hydrogen potassium exchange. And, uh, that, and that could just be also but when, when, you put in the, when you put in the hydrogen into the cell, mm. the cell, because it has a lot of proteins in it, intracellularly could be buffering that hydrogen. And that's exactly what I was going to say. So in a way, this shift works as a buffer. Yeah. And I think and I think two-thirds of at least the acute buffering capacity that's probably happening all the time in our body yep. is done by proteins. Good point. So a significant buffering capacity in the body that you wouldn't even notice you're going out of fluctuations for. Yeah. Which proteins would be just doing that all the time. Cool. It's time to stop for an ad very quickly. We'll be right back. 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. All right, we're back. That was quick. <laughs> um, other buffers. So we've spoken about the hydrogen-potassium exchange We've spoken about protein buffers, the fact that amino acids can either accept hydrogen ions or donate them. So there's two buffers there. There's a couple of other buffers in the body before we talk about the main buffer. Yeah. Right? The big buffer of the body, which is going to be the, <laughs> the focus of this lecture after, after 50 minutes of this podcast. All right. Uh, the ammonia buffer. You heard of this one? Yeah. I hope so. Uh, you lecture it. So, no, uh, not, remember I'm second year. Remember I'm second year. You're well, first right. year. That's right. Matt's well, you only, once were first. Matt's year. only a second year student. Um, <laughs> no, when he says second Basically. year, it means he teaches second year pathophysiology pharmacology at university, which means he just doesn't know anything about ammonia. All right. So, okay, let's think about this. Um, ammonia is. We spoke about it. We, we did. NH3. pH of 11. Yes, we did. Because that means it's basic. Yeah. Because it's got the capacity to absorb hydrogen ions. All right, let's think about this. Ammonia, its chemical structure is NH3. Where else did we talk about NH3? Oh, amino acid. Amino acids. So ammonia is a byproduct of breaking down amino acids when you're done with them. So Why would you want to break an amino acid? That's a good point. Maybe we should start talking like this. Wow, why would I want to break an amino acid? Hmm. Well, well, is it, only the liver that breaks it? Uh, I would say the liver is the major site of deamination. Okay. Which is the process. So amine, you said amino acid, right? The amine is the nitrogen side chain. Remember, you've got proteins, fats, carbs, three major macronutrients of the body that we use for energy. energy. Yeah, yeah. They've all got carbons. They've all got oxygens. They've all got hydrogens. However, amino acids or proteins have one addition, which is nitrogen which the body can't handle very well. Body's really good at handling carbons, hydrogens, and oxygen. What do you mean you can't handle well? Han- can't handle it well. Can't just let it free float through the body. Oh, because it, right? it becomes ammonia. Yeah, it needs to- Unless you're a fish. Pee it out, basically, unless you're a fish. So once your bodies use these amino acids in proteins, things don't last forever. Everything needs to be broken down. Nothing lasts forever. That's like right. November how, rain. How deep? Which is actually acidic rain. <laughs> so pH of four. We need to break the amino acids down every now and then and recycle aspects of it 
and remove other aspects of it. So we can, as soon as we cut off that amine side chain called deamination, which the liver will predominantly do for us, we can reuse the rest. For, for uh, gluconeogenesis? We can. Repackage it into glucose? Yep, that's very true. And then the back end of it, the amino end, is the problem. Yeah, the amine end. So that's NH3. So NH3, once it's chopped off, is ammonia. And ammonia can be damaging in the body. And I think that is part of the issue with liver failure. Yeah. Ammonia will build up and lead to a, into an encephalopathy. Yes, which is a brain issue. Yeah. So that ammonia, this is the thing, we want to pee it out. So basically your kidneys deal primarily with ammonia. And so what ammonia can do if there's too much or too many hydrogen ions present is it can grab a hold of a fourth hydrogen ion and become NH4 positive, right? goes from NH3. So we're talking about the kidney now? Yeah. Okay, we're in the kidney. Yeah, it happens predominantly because the ammonia is traveling to the kidney to be peed out, right? But while it's in the kidney, the kidney is going to be filtering our blood. So if the kidney notices that the blood's really acidic, it can go, wait a minute, I've got this ammonia, I've got all these hydrogen ions, I'm going to bring them together and I'll go from NH3, a neutral ammonia, right, uh, chemical, to NH4+, plus, which is called ammonium. Okay. Right? So now we've got ammonium, A-M-M-O-N-I-U-M, right? So can I just add- Which is now buffered out the hydrogen ions. Yeah. Can I just yeah, add yeah, a, yeah. Okay, Mike. a point here? Yeah. Because there's kind of two separate systems happening. So when we're talking about the deanimation- Not deanimation, <laughs> deamination. Right. There yeah. we go. So, <laughs> so when the amino acids are getting broken up- Yeah and the ammonia is the problem, it's important to note here that the liver is actually repackaging it as urea. Yeah. Right? Sorry. And that, yeah. And that's yeah. its way of getting it to the kidney. Yes. Yeah? I apologize. Because again, we, ammonia is damaging. Yeah. So we don't, we don't just want it free-floating in the bloodstream. Yeah. So it's packaged as urea. It gets into the filtrate, so from the glomerulus into the nephron, or it can be actively, meaning it uses energy, excreted through the tubules from the blood or the capillaries yep. directly into the yep. tubules of the, of the nephron. Um, and there, because that urea contains ammonia, if there's too many hydronons in the urine or the filtrate, it can absorb them. Yeah, and that's important to note because if the kidney is failing, you are also likely to build up with urea or uric acid and mm. that's an acid-forming molecule and that's also likely to shift the person into an acidemia. Yes, because again, it can contain ammonium and ammonia has three hydrogen already yep. and it can release it. And so now another thing that the kidney can do with the use of ammonia is yep. it can also do the breaking up of amino acids as well, right? So it can shuffle around types of amino acids to liberate the ammonia yep. to help um, soak up the hydrogen in the filtrate, right? So yes. if the kidneys is trying to manage a an acidity situation it can it can actually do the process that the liver does yep to produce more ammonia yep. to then put that into the filtrate side to soak up the hydrogen to then get peed out as yeah. ammonium yeah 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 that's yep. that's actually an in, an interesting tangent here is I'll be the judge of that have you heard of the possible energy source, re renewable energy source, hydrogen, like hydrogen and gas? Yes, yes, I have. So yep. this is where <laughs> this is where they break uh, water 
H2O? Into oxygen and hydrogen. Okay. You know this, right? And, and so there are some- into H2, which hydrogen gas is H2. Yeah. So yep. there, there is the possibility of using that gas to power engines, right? How? Unlike buses and, I mean, combustion somewhat, right? Okay. So the energy that's released by breaking the water. Yeah. Okay. No, 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 no. Um, so you separate the water right. into oxygen and hydrogen, yeah. but then later on to use the hydrogen in an engine-like device, yeah. it can power the engine. Okay. Okay. And did you listen to Matt Bevan's podcast this week about uh, the moon? Yes, I did. Yes. And how they're now using, for rockets, they're using the, the breakage of, of water into hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah. And so when they're in space, they're using the hydrogen gas to power the engine and oxygen because there's no oxygen in space. Yeah. But now because at the moon they found lots of ice. Right. And so they're putting now bases on it to... Petrol stations. <laughs> basically. Yeah, and so hydrogen-based petrol stations. Yeah, petrol and, stations. and that's why there's now India going to the moon and there's a race to, to do that sort of thing. Anyway. Oh, nice. Okay, okay. But okay. the problem with hydrogen opposed to natural gases or LPG, LPG yeah. liquid petroleum gas, yeah. is hydrogen... To be stored has to be put under a lot of pressure. So yeah. it has to be like why um, to be in a liquid form, I guess. Yeah, and to get it, you get got to get really cold. Yeah, and big thick uh, metal canisters. Yeah, which then count, kind of counters the you kind of use more energy to store it and to transport it right than using it. Than using okay, it. yeah. So one way to get around this yep. is through ammonium. So they put it into ammonia yep. and they can transport it, which is kind of like fertilizer right. and they can put it on ships or something and then reconvert it back into uh, ammonia there you go. and liberate the hydrogen. Interesting. So nothing, nothing to do with the human body, but that's very interesting. But I'm just saying the human body does this or the kidney does this yeah. and now we're trying to, we're to counter it. this yeah. in the transport of hydrogen across the seas. I like that. Yeah. No, I think that's very good. You know what? That deserves a single round of applause from me. No, I like that. Um, that's the ammonia buffer. Yeah. Should we start talking about the bicarbonate buffer? Yeah. Phosphate buffer. That's the only other one. Yeah. The phosphate butter, buffer. Butter, 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 butter. Betty bought a bit of butter, but that bit of butter was phosphate. So okay. what is it? Phosphate. Yeah. Phosphate is um, mono, mono, what is it called? Monohydrophosphate or something? Yeah, monohydrogen phosphate. Okay. We've got dihydrogen phosphate. So you can have H2PO4 negative. Okay, so firstly, phosphate is most predominantly found inside the cell. That's the first thing, right? Second thing is phosphate is used in a multitude of reactions. Uh, it's used to make cell membranes because it's a phospholipid bilayer. So it's made up – so phosphate is made up predominantly of phosphorus. So you've got phospholipid bilayer, you've got adenosine diphosphate – and oh, yeah. adenosine triphosphate, so energy molecules. Uh, it's used in uh, as a carrier molecule, so NADPH. Uh, you know, there's, it's it's everywhere, right? So this is the reason why it's inside the cells and, and present, right? So the main form that it's present in is the dihydrogen phosphate, which is H2PO4 negative. So two hydrogen, one uh, uh, phosphorus, four oxygen that's negatively charged. But if it comes across a hydrogen ion and wants to soak it up, and wants to soak it up, it becomes HPO four two negative. So right? that's the dihydro. 
Go, sorry, it goes from HPO, yeah, HPO4, two negative to HPO4 negative. Okay. That's what I meant. So HPO4, two negative to HPO4 negative. And that's because it's absorbing the hydrogen ion with the positive charge, getting rid of that negative charge. And obviously it can release other things in that process. Okay. Right? So but at the end of the day, it's a buffer that's inside the body. Yeah. So the, the take-home points here are the way that the body counters a fluctuation in pH, it can, there are mechanisms intracellularly yep. and extracellularly. Yep. One of the most immediate is the protein buffer system. Yep. And that could be proteins in the cell. And we spoke about how you can get hydrogen in and out of the cell through the potassium exchange. Yep. But also there are proteins quite abundantly in extracellular fluid, yep. such as albumin. Yep. So albumin is the most abundant plasma protein. Mm -hmm. And that can quite easily shift the, the way it can soak up or donate hydrogen ions. Yep. So that has the capacity. But we also have other capacities of buffering, and that's through ammonia which we spoke about, and also phosphate. Yeah. So let me just, let me just reemphasize, because I said the wrong thing with the phosphate. HPO42 negative then comes across free hydrogen ions to become H2PO4 negative. That's the dihydro. Yes. So it goes from mono hydrogen phosphate to, di. to dihydrogen phosphate, and, that, and, then it, and that's reversible, depending on the abundance of hydrogen ions in the solution. Okay. If there's heaps then it absorbs it. If there's not much, it releases it. Yep. So all of these buffer systems we've spoken about have been reversible, hence why they're buffers. They can absorb it or release the hydrogen ions, but they sort of only got like it's it as a chemical. They can absorb it or release it. Yeah. But there's one more buffer system that's probably the most important buffer system in the whole body, which has- This a, is more physiological. More physiological. has another end to it, yeah. right? So- if, for example, and we said at the very start of the, of the podcast, you know, you've got all these metabolic things occurring, right? You've got uh, fatty acids, amino acids, metabolism, glucose metabolism, all these things are producing hydrogen ions, hydrochloric acid. So you've, you're accumulating these hydrogen ions in the body. So you've got hydrogen ions, H+. Luckily for us, there is another abundant ion in the body called bicarbonate ion which is HCO3 negative. And that's present within the extracellular solutions of our body predominantly. And when you start to accumulate hydrogen ions, luckily for us, just like all those other buffer systems, the protein buffer system, the phosphate buffer system, the ammonia buffer system, this bicarbonate will bind to the hydrogen ions and hydrogen ion and mop it up. And it goes from HCO3 negative to H2CO3, carbonic acid. Now, it's called carbonic acid because, like we said, acids, the, by definition, hate themselves and split themselves apart so they can release a hydrogen ion. Now, that's unlike all the other buffers I've spoken about, except carbonic acid can not just go back and release hydrogen ions and bicarbonate. It can do something else. Yep. It can go in another direction and split off in a different way to release... To, remember, it's H2CO3. It can release CO2... And then it's left with Water. H2O. Yeah. So carbonic acid can actually split off to form carbon dioxide and water. And the amazing thing about that is we can play around with carbon dioxide very quickly and very easily by breathing. Yeah. So effectively what we're saying is through this buffer called the bicarbonate buffer, 
Hydrogen ions, by binding to bicarbonate, can ultimately be breathed out through our respiratory system. And you can change the pH of your body right now through breathing. Through breathing, yeah. So if you were to hyperventilate, (laughs) what are you doing? Breathing off excessive CO2. Which means there's less CO2 to bind to water, which means it produces less carbonic acid, which means less carbonic acid. To donate hydrogen. And our blood pH becomes more basic. Which means there are more abundance of bicarbonate relative to hydrogen. Yeah, which means all the available hydrogen will be bound up by the bicarbonate. Yeah. And it becomes a more basic solution. Yeah. So by hyperventilating, your blood pH can become more basic or alkaline. It goes higher. If you were to hold your breath, you now become a carbon dioxide retainer, increasing CO2, meaning more of it bonds with water, producing more carbonic acid, which splits apart to produce more hydrogen ions. And now you've got a more acidic solution. Yep. Now, obviously we're talking about in a very acute short-term phase yep. here by breathing conscious, in a conscious way to change all this. But there are, are conditions that can result in one or the other of these things, right? Like emphysema, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, right? So when you have emphysema, your alveoli are disintegrated, your elastic tissue is broken down in your airways, and it's so very- more, Essentially, you've got more dead space. So you've got areas of lung that's not partaking in gas exchange. Yes, and it's really hard to breathe out. So you start to continually accumulate carbon dioxide. So- According to that equation, if you've got emphysema, you can't blow off the carbon dioxide, you're going to produce more acid. So in the short term, you can become acidic or acidotic. But the other end of the equation where it's got hydrogen ions and bicarbonate, luckily for us, there's another system of the body that can deal with those, right? Mm. Which is? Well, the bicarbonate is, well, actually, no, you're right, both. Hydrogen and bicarbonate can be handled quite efficiently by the kidney. So the kidney can reabsorb. So that means pull bicarbonate from what would end up would have ended up as urine yep. back into the blood mm-hmm. and it can excrete hydrogen, so put more hydrogen ions into the urine to be put into the toilet. Yeah. Now that can be done by free hydrogen ions, but it's also important to note here that the urine can only get to a certain uh, pH and it, if it gets too acidic, it doesn't have the capacity to put more any more hydrogen ions into the urine. Yeah. And so the way you can get around this is through the buffering system we spoke yeah. about, through both phosphate and ammonia. So it can hide the hydrogen into those two molecules and you can pee out more am- ammonium and more phosphate or dihy- dihydrophosphate. But effectively... What we're saying is that- This is getting rid of hydrogen. Yeah, you're getting rid of hydrogen through the kidneys. So if you have this equation up, and if you're watching this on the YouTube, we will have the equation up on the screen. One end of the equation with the carbon dioxide end, you can play around with that with your respiratory system. On the other end with the hydrogen and bicarbonate, you can play around with that end with your renal system. So if we take that example of emphysema, you might think, well, the respiratory system isn't working properly. They accumulate carbon dioxide- so their pH goes down because they've got more hydrogen ions, they become acidic. Uh-oh, that's a problem. But luckily, the other end of the equation, the kidneys, can just pee out that excess hydrogen ions. So long-term, people with emphysema don't really necessarily have acidosis. They're they shouldn't, but once it starts to become 
you know, more severe, yes. then it might be excessive. Or if they have certain acute bouts of lung changes, then they might become acidic. Yes. Which would be considered, because these, oh, I don't want to get into the weeds too much here, but if these, like COPD, for instance, they're going to have a problem both handling or having problems with ventilating oxygen as well as carbon dioxide. And if those both occur at the same time, then they're going to have a type 2 um, respiratory failure. And that's maybe going to overcome or overwhelm the kidney's ability to, to handle all that acid. Yes, yes, yes. But again, the point is you've got the kidneys as a backup in this situation to try and remedy the acidotic state. Yep. Right? Uh, so, and it's when, you, when we look at the, the bicarbonate buffering formula, like you said, usually the hydrogen bicarbonate end mm. is the kidney end yep. and the CO2 is the respiratory end. Yeah. But it's also important to note where do we get CO2 from? Well, we yep. get it from every cell in the body. Yeah. So every cell in the body will produce CO2 as a byproduct of metabolism, right? Yeah. Yep. It's and, an exhaust. And so if you were to make your cells work harder in the sense of producing more ATP, therefore more CO2, yep. more CO2 will go up, mm. therefore your breathing almost immediately goes up. And, yeah. and we all do, well, hopefully we all do this daily yep. by just exerting yourself. So exercise. Exercise. Yeah. You need more ATP through exercise so because your muscles need more ATP to move. Yeah. And as a result, you're producing more CO2. Yep. CO2 adds to the water, which makes, makes carbonic acid. You need to get rid of that acid. So tell the respiratory system. And this is where the physiology comes in. Mm. So do you want to talk about quickly just how the respiratory system does this well, uh, physiologically? Well, I just very quickly just want to say that um, an important point that I tell my students is that when you do exercise and you tend to begin to hyperventilate, the main reason why you're hyperventilating is to remove the carbon dioxide, yeah. not to get in the oxygen. Now, people might go, yeah, but we need more oxygen because we're doing more exercise. Yes, but you'll see that your red blood cells are very efficient at carrying oxygen and that even during intense bouts of exercise, your red blood cells will be fully saturated with oxygen. So it's not about getting more in because you're just going to hit a point if, if you're training really, really hard you just won't deliver enough oxygen to the muscles, even if all your red blood cells are saturated. You're just exceeding that capacity. So the reason why you're hyperventilating is simply, well, is predominantly to remove the carbon dioxide so your blood doesn't become too acidic because mm, yeah. if it does, your muscles won't work. And the whole point is for your muscles to work during yeah, times of exercise. Yeah. So, And I'd imagine that if you were to ask someone what would be the quickest way to get CO2 levels up, hold your breath or quickly do vigorous exercise. My guess would be the exercise, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. And hold your breath. <laughs> but I wouldn't recommend no, no, doing just, both together. Just as a thought experiment. If you're yes. Gonna, what two methods would increase CO2 in your blood the most? Yeah. Okay, just sit there and hold your breath. You probably could do it for a couple of minutes and yeah. it wouldn't be drastic. But if you were just then to do something, what? Um, star jumps, maybe what's Burpees. Even? Burpees. Yeah. It would probably be within 30 seconds. Totally. Yeah. So I did this test on, I think it was like a, one of my social media channels where I put a pulse oximeter on my finger, which me measures oxygen concentration, right? And then held my breath. And so I'm going to hold my breath for as long as possible. And we're going to watch my blood oxygen levels change. 
held my breath for as long as I could, which was like, what, under a minute, right? And then I couldn't hold it any longer. And your thinking would be, well, you can't hold it any longer because you've run out of oxygen. My blood oxygen saturation was still 96%, yeah. right? The reason why I needed to breathe out or needed to breathe was to get rid of the carbon dioxide that had accumulated. So, so I think that's a good segue into how your respiratory rate is regulated by CO2 then. Yeah, so because carbon dioxide, as we spoke about through this bicarbonate buffer equation, can turn into hydrogen ions, if it accumulates too quickly, you become too acidic too quickly. But luckily for us, we've got receptors in the body that can measure hydrogen ion concentration and also carbon dioxide concentration. And these receptors are generally found in the carotids and the aortic arch. Um, and? And, I mean, there's also... Uh, are you talking about just purely CO2? Well, was, yeah. Or, and, or and, hydrogen And hydrogen well. ions. Yeah, so you also have... But you've also got... Go on. Or the receptors actually in the brainstem. Yeah, I was just going to say... Which is tasting the CSF. Yes. With the cerebral spinal fluid. Is it brainstem? Or I, thought it was, I thought it was at that um, like chemoreceptive trigger zone at the base of the fourth ventricle. Is it? Maybe you're right. Maybe it is the... I would still call that the brainstem. Okay. No problem. <laughs> sure. So it's the chemoreceptors, this is probably more sensitive in a way. Mm. These receptors are picking probably more hydrogen ions, but yeah. also CO2. Yeah. Because your CSF is kind of fairly directly related to plasma. Mm. And so any fluctuations with CO2, therefore hydrogen ions are going up. If you are having more abundance of CO2 in your blood, mm. therefore these this part of your brainstem is saying, oh, the CSF is becoming more acidic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to get rid of CO2. Yeah. So then this respiratory centre would be indicating to your breathing mechanics, you need to increase speed and probably depth of breathing. So minute ventilation rate speed, how deep you are breathing. And that, yes. and by default, that means you're getting more CO2 out. So the main stimulus to breathe is the increase in CO2. Yeah. Simply because of the potential damage that the acidic environment that could result from increased CO2 can have on the body. Like we said earlier, damaging proteins. So the main stimulus is CO2 increase, not O2 decrease. Correct, right? yes. And that's important. And if we go back to that individual with emphysema, if you're, if you're a carbon dioxide retainer and you hold on to that CO2 for so long, right? Like we said, oh, okay, well, the kidneys can make up for the increase in hydrogen ions by peeing it out. But your CO2 levels are probably elevated so high that it's constantly triggering these, you know, chemoreceptive zones in the carotid arteries, aortic arch, brainstem. Constantly saying, increase breathing, increase breathing, increase breathing. And if you do that so long, it goes, you know what? This is ridiculous. I'm constantly being stimulated. I'm not going to listen to this signal anymore. Just like somebody who has too much insulin in the body, right? It sort of goes, oh, I'm not going to listen to you anymore. It does the same thing here. And the main trigger for breathing is no longer an increase in CO2, but is a decrease in O2, right? Yeah. And so, so I, then it shifts. Yeah, I I looked into this some years ago. Yeah, but there's been a... Yeah, yeah. Because uh, these are typically called CO2 retainers, right? Yes. So I these would be people who have respiratory conditions, possibly chronic smokers, yep. but also people with like COPD and they have higher amounts of CO2 in their blood mm. than the, the normal population. Yeah. Yep. And the thought was they become desensitised to it. 
Yes. But and I think more there's oxygen enough, sensitive. I think there's a mechanism that I read some time ago that what we once thought isn't quite the same because the, the problem would be if you have a person with a respiratory condition yep. and they have type 1 respiratory failure, which yep. is oxygen handling problem, you put them on oxygen. Yeah. But because As they- an oxygen mask. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the problem there is because if they are CO2 retainers, yeah. they've already lost their CO2 drive and they're relying on their oxygen drive. Yes. But you're just given the oxygen. So there's, so no, there's no drop. There's no reason to breathe now. Yes. <laughs> from and that brains. was the reason. So this right. is, oh, so do we give them oxygen? And now you're right. It, it now states, stipulates, and yeah. maybe it's changed again. I don't know the mechanism. So it stipulates you do give people oxygen. But they right? may give it with the rebreather masks. So, yeah. so they, you are rebreathing CO2 back in. Yeah. So what we're saying here is don't rely on us <laughs> to inform your clinical practice. Definitely not. In this particular Definitely instance. Not. All right. Um, so that's so the, the bicarbonate buffer system. This is okay. So that so, makes kind of sense from the respiratory point of view, right? I yeah, think we covered absolutely. that pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. And obviously the renal end as well, it can control it. So um, I think what else do we need to talk about here? Well, we could, you may not want to talk about this, but we could just say the way that CO2 is transported to the lungs, the different ways it does it. Do you want to talk about in terms of the, the red blood cell and versus plasma? Sure, yeah. sure, because it uses the bicarbonate buffer system. And then we can talk about just quickly how the, the kidney handles that last part. Yeah, so the bicarbonate buffer system is obviously there to buffer out excess hydrogen ions or insufficient hydrogen ions, um, but it's also the way that we transport carbon dioxide around the body. So effectively, if you, if you follow, if, for example, you were to um, put a label on the carbons of your carbon dioxide, right? Let's just say you were to, if you could, you were to be able to colour in the carbon dioxides that you have in your body yeah. and follow where it goes, you'd find that the vast majority of those carbon dioxides would be incorporated into bicarbonate ions, right? They turn from CO2 to HCO3 negative. And that's because of the equation. CO2 plus H2O gives you H2CO3, carbonic acid, which splits apart to produce hydrogen ions and bicarbonate ions. Now, you go, wait a minute, carbon dioxide is produced by all the cells of our body, like yep. you said, as a so the, byproduct. So let's work this through together. So now so what e does it do? So every cell, let's just say, is essentially making CO2. Yeah. Pumps it out of the cell. Yep, into the plasma. Goes into the extracellular fluid. Yeah. Which then dissolves pretty easily into plasma. Right, now what? Okay, so approximately- Needs to get to the lungs. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because yeah. we know that in terms that we know that CO2, if it builds up in fluid, by default, we become an acid. Yeah, because- And the pH will go all down. All the fluids are water and CO2 right. plus water so, makes acid. Yep. So that's a problem. So we know that every cell makes CO2. Mm -hmm. We don't get rid of it. We become an acid. Therefore, we rely on the only system to get rid of CO2, and that's your respiratory system. Yes. So we've got a, a long way to get this CO2 to the lungs. Right. So how do we get it there? The first method. How many methods? Three. Right. First method. The first method, which is only about 7% of the CO2. Is transported in this way. Is transported in this way. And that's okay. dissolved directly into the plasma of your blood. Right. So if we were to compare this to oxygen transport. Yep. We can transport oxygen by doing the same thing, dissolving yep. it in the blood. But, but it's only like 2%, right? Yeah, that's right. So- 7% of carbon dioxide can be dissolved in the blood, but only like 1% to 2% of oxygen. Why? Oh, uh, just the, um, what is it? Dissolvability, uh, right? Is that Dalton? 
Okay, so then we're, we're looking <laughs> is at- Is it Dalton? Or is it Henry's? Oh, I forget these two. Henry's law. Henry's. So that's just its saturability of CO2 into a fluid opposed to oxygen. Yes, carbon dioxide is more dissolvable than oxygen in a solution. So you could have the same concentration, same percentage, but more. Se- and if you were to push them both towards water, more CO2 would dissolve. So this would water. go to the, the cup of water. Yeah. And you're blowing bubbles into it. Yes, back to the, the straw. beginning of the podcast. Yeah, right. Very good, very good. Pretty much you would imagine that just blowing bubbles into the water, the cup of water, would saturate the water like our plasma. Yeah. Which would be, if you want to be technical with it, it would have a pressure of 35 to 45 millimetres of mercury. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wait, what would? Carbon dioxide. Okay. So that's, if you were to wanting to take your patient's blood and yep. measure the CO2 in their blood, yep. just the CO2. As the partial pressure. The partial pressure would be 35 to 45. Yeah, I, was, I would think more 45, but yes. Yeah, so this is part of a blood gas that we do, but. but yeah, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. 35, yeah. 45, okay. Yeah. So, yes. And an easy way to remember that is it kind of follows the back end of the pH scale. So remember the pH is 7.35 oh, yeah. to 4.5? Yeah, gotcha. If you forget, drop the sevens, yeah. 35 to 45 is the CO2. Anyway. All right. Now, uh, we've got carbon dioxide, 7%'s just dissolved. Yep. That's fine. It's yep. just as a gas. Just like the way. To and I think that the is the first way. You spoke about Tholderpup at the beginning. Yeah. Right? Soda water or what do we call it? Fizzy drink. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, um, you said it's acidic, which makes sense because it's filled, it's carbonated. It's filled with carbon dioxide, which mixes with the water to produce acid. Correct. That's why- Soda waters are acidic and they can damage your teeth. That's right. But you go even further. But it's also probably the sugar that damages But go teeth. even further with that. Yes, sir. If you want to make even more bubbles in it. Oh, yeah. Because I'm all be- about bubbles in my be- drink. Because if you just, if I say, hey, here's a glass of water and I'll put some bu- <laughs> bubbles in it. I'm just going to blow bubbles in it. It's not going to be very bubbly, right? Yeah. The, well, it's the bubbles sort of just pop. They're already out. They're out. So how do we get more CO2 into the water? than just that atmospheric pressure. So you want to get the CO2 in, but you don't want them to form bubbles to pop. You just want yeah, it to yeah. stay in there dissolved. Yeah. At least, until, at least until you pour the water and then drink it and it's nice and bubbly for you, right? So you have to so, put it under pressure. Yeah, put it under pressure. And this is the soda stream or all the equivalent systems where you put this bottle, you screw it into the machine. Mm. So now it's pressurized. It can't lose its fluid. You press the button at the top next to the... Well, in the in the system is this high pressured CO two canister, yeah. which is releasing the CO two into your bottle of water under high pressure. So the partial pressure is so high that it actually just forces the CO two into your water. Yeah. Now it's sealed because it's still locked in. If you put the lid on quickly, it's still sealed in there and it's in solution. But as soon as you take the cap off, whether this is a, a soft drink, a cola drink, or depressurize or soda, you depressurize the bubbles come out. Then you put in your drink and drink it, and it's bubbly. Yeah, that's a CO two coming out of solution. This is what happens when you go diving. Yeah, right. Because if you think about, so carbon dioxide at sea level is pretty happy to dissolve in water, right? And oxygen a little bit. Nitrogen, nah. Nitrogen, its its dissolvability at sea level is meh. Doesn't care, right? So it won't happen. Because if you think about it the gases that we're breathing in from the atmosphere is like 75% nitrogen. Mm, But we never talk about nitrogen gas transport. However, you go diving, for every, what is it, every metre you go down, 
you're doubling minutes. every 10 meters you go down you double the atmospheric pressure yeah. so you're increasing the pressure on you so every time you go down in the water you're it's basically at an atmosphere you're pushing more gases into your blood nitrogen that normally isn't dissolved now is becoming dissolved mm. and so now it's so it's like the the soda stream but with nitrogen yeah and so now it's in your blood which can be fine when you're down because yeah. it's not it's inert so it's not doing anything but if you start to ascend really quickly, it's going to form bubbles that pop. These bubbles can form strokes. Yeah, it comes out of solution, yeah. yeah. That, that's the bends. Yes, can yeah. make you pretty sick. But it's the same thing, dissolvability. Anyway, it's got nothing to do with buffers. So, well, a little bit because carbon dioxide creates acid. So that's one method. All right, 7% carbon dioxide dissolved in the blood plasma. What's the next one? The next one is the CO2 goes directly into the red blood cell. Right. Okay. And the CO2 binds to the hemoglobin. So red blood cells are enucleated or denucleated. They have nothing inside but packed full of proteins called hemoglobin. Yeah. And hemoglobin just carries oxygen, well, gases, yeah. right? And the carbon dioxide can go in and go, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bite to the globin portion of the hemoglobin. Oxygen binds to the heme, yes. carbon dioxide binds to the globin. Yes. And every time an oxygen binds to it, it changes its conformation. So it's less likely to bind to carbon dioxide. But when carbon dioxide goes in, it changes its conformation so it's less likely to bind to oxygen. Yeah. So the great it's, thing it's, is- It's really neat. It's neat because more carbon dioxide, it releases. So you think about it, when red blood cells get to the tissues of your body where it wants to release oxygen but take on carbon dioxide, well, the carbon dioxide will diffuse from the tissues to the red blood cell, bind to the globin of the hemoglobin, which changes the conformation to release oxygen to give to the tissues. Lovely. And it does the opposite of the lungs. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So what percentage is this transported? Oh, it's a CO2 on the globulin train, yeah. uh, about 20, 22, 23. All right. So percent. what we've got 70 odd percent left. Yep. The main weight's transported. And it, this is doing through the bicarbonate buffering equation. Okay. So you CO2 comes into the red blood cell. Yes. Inside the cell, I know you said there's a lot of hemoglobin, but there probably is a little bit of, of intracellular fluid. Yeah. One being water. Yeah. Meets water, High becomes water. carbonic acid. Oh, okay. Okay. Which hates itself. Hates itself. Splits apart. Splits apart. So the hydrogen is now in excess. Yeah. What do we do? Let's buffer it. Yeah. What do we? What's because you don't want the red blood cell to be too acidic. That's right. So what's the what's the red blood cell filled with? Heaps of proteins. We spoke about proteins are good buffer. Right. So the hydrogen jumps onto the protein Those ends. amino acids. Yeah, yeah. And all we're left now with is bicarbonate. Right. So bicarbonate. Now you don't want to have presumably too much base in here because yeah. you now become basic. Yeah. So we'll say- And you're, oh, you're what they call a basic bitch, I believe. Is that the term that they use? Never, never heard the last part. So, <laughs> but anyway, so the, the bicarbonate then is becoming in excess. Yeah. Is that a, a band? Excess yes, band. in excess. Very good. Australian band. Yeah. Uh, and so it was it, it says thirty years ago. It says, "Look, we don't want so much of this base. Yeah. Let's get rid of the base." So it excretes the base out. So the base goes from being in the red blood cell to out in the okay. plasma. That's right. So it gets right. rid of it. Yeah. But the problem here is, if you get rid of a negative thing, the inside of the red blood cell is likely to become too positive in charge. Right. So it wants to get rid of the base. That's right. But it doesn't really want to get rid of the negative charge. Yeah, because it needs to be electro-neutral. So it wants to bring something in that's negatively charged but won't act like a base. Correct. And so it shifts in chloride because it's also negative. Shifts in chloride. That sounds like something called a chloride shift. That's what I would call it. 
That's called a chloride shift. Very interesting. Okay. So, so, now, then, so now at the tissue level, yeah. we've now got all the CO2 packaged up, ready to take to the lungs. So it's so, either dissolved in the blood plasma, it's either bound directly to the globin of hemoglobin, or now it's in the form of bicarbonate. Yeah. And like you said, by doing these different arrangements, yeah. it's changing the environment of not only the red blood cell, but the pH of the, the area yeah. and oxygen well, because hemoglobin is kind of, because it is a protein, is slightly restructuring a bit, mm. oxygen pops off. Right. So Makes oxygen sense. then comes off the red blood cell, and that's great because we need more oxygen. In because, areas where there's... Because we're exercising, right? Yeah. So now we've locked it all up, and now we can transport this red blood cell off to the Lungs. lung. And, and with this... And then it all happens in reverse. With this... with. Red blood cells are demonstrating their importance here, mm. both in carrying CO2 but also carrying oxygen. And this is why 60% of the cells in your body are red blood cells because this is so important. Right. I like it. I like it. So then we go to the lungs. Yes. Where the gradients are different. Yeah. So there's a lower amount of CO2 in its gradient. Yeah. So the partial pressure of CO2 is lower in the lungs, not by much, but there is a difference. Mm-hmm. So what changes straight away? Is that dissolved CO2? Remember the one in the plasma? It's going down a gradient. It's got a gradient now, so that leaves. Yep. Which then changes the way that the CO2 is within the red blood cell. Yeah, it goes, hey, all the CO2 is leaving. I don't want to leave. That's right. I mean, I I don't want to be here by myself. That's right. So CO2 jumps off the hemoglobin. Yeah. Comes into the intracellular red blood cell. Yeah. And then probably leaves as well. Yeah. Or repackages it with water. Yeah. No, wait, sorry. Then we have the chloride shift, reshift. Yeah. So the bicarbonate comes back that's in. That's right. Chloride goes back out. That's right. Bicarbonate binds with the hydrogen because it's jumped off because so is the chloride. Yeah, that's so right. is the uh, the because the oxygen's jumped on because it's at the lungs. So yeah. the hydrogen jumps off. Now creates carbonic acid, which creates carbon dioxide, which then diffuses out and gets breathed out. That's right. Beautiful. And also water will get breathed out as well. Yeah, as vapor. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And this is the respiratory way of dealing with CO2, That's right. and hence pH. And this is very fast. This is within minutes. To seconds. So, so this is why the respiratory system is so efficient at monitor, not monitor, maintaining the pH yeah. through just, but it's important to say, purely through CO2. Yes, absolutely. All right, that, look, that's one hour and 30 minutes. That's a lot longer than I thought. On buffers. We thought it was going to be about 45 minutes, but because Matt doesn't shut up. I think it's the other way around. Oh, well, I think the... Well, Did the, we talk the, sufficient the enough design. about how the kidney does the other other end? Yeah, look, I, th- I think so because we're going to be doing more episodes on the nephron and we're going to be talking about tubular secretion and reabsorption. And so we're going to talk about the specifics as to what gets reabsorbed and secreted at each aspect, which is going to include hydrogen ions and, and bicarbonate ions. Okay. So I think we can go into more detail there. So the only take-home point there, at the back end of the bicarbonate buffering equation, yeah. when we talk about hydrogen and bicarbonate, yeah. the kidney then has its capacity to hold on to my bicarbonate yeah. and or excrete the hydrogen in either free hydrogen or ammonia or phosphate. Yeah, yeah I think we said that. So I think that's all good. Um, Matthew, thank you. Now, dear listener... Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give us a five-star rating on the podcast. You can contact us on social media. But before we go... You got, you got the mailbag. Oh, yes, I do. Um, now, my, my mailbag 
Is, uh, is it we, need to, we need to have a... Um, is it in my emails? We need to have an audio... Oh, mailbag tune. Tune. Yeah. Can we get the listener to come up with a mailbag? Because we had a listener to come up with a, um, a plaque. Right. That's true. We did. We, we had Callum come up with a plaque for us because we asked for so it. So if any listener wants to come up with a mailbag tune. Tune. Particularly with singing. <laughs> I want some voices. It can be funny. We'll, we'll play it forever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if anyone wants to make any music for the podcast, let us know. As long as we can have it for uh, for free and we and we don't have to pay royalties or anything, let us know. Um, all right. So I've got uh, some uh, mailbags. Mailbags. You, you start. Maybe the theme tune can be mailbag. 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 Is that all right? No. All right. All right. This one's from Bernie. Bernadette. Firstly, hi, Bernadette. Uh, hi, I offer cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy for chronic pain relief and loved your videos explaining the theory. Obviously, I'd like to get a deeper understanding of pain and wonder if you have any other materials that might be uh, of help for me to help myself and my clients. Many thanks to your amazing videos. Thank you, Bernie. So, Bernie, if you haven't listened to, well, Bernie may not listen to the podcast. This is specifically, maybe Bernie just watches the YouTube videos. So for those of you out there... She could be watching this as a YouTube video. Oh, good point. Okay. So we do have a great podcast episode on pain versus nociception. And I will be doing more videos on pain and nociception and the differences and the pathways involved. So watch this space. And because Matt and I are also creating uh, professional development courses online, I think I might try and create one just on pain and nociception. Sounds like a good idea. We're currently doing one actually. Yes, there you go. That's true for people with dementia. Yeah. So thank you, Bernie. Uh, do you have one you want to read out? Yeah, I've got one from Mohammed. Yep. So Mohammed's uh, sent an email with a subject line of biology. So Mohammed said, "Sir, please upload a video on the axial versus appendicular skeleton of human body." I've done that. Or was what? it maybe? Yes, we've done a video, but we should do a podcast on it. Actually, yeah, I think that's good. We I think we've got an overview of skeletal system. Yeah. But we probably should do a comparison between the axial and appendicular skeleton. Oh, anything for you to do anatomy, huh, Matt? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, but I do have a video. It's a relatively basic sort of introduction where I go through the axial versus the appendicular skeleton and talk about the different bones associated with each. So, Mohammed, we do have a video. Yep, I just But <laughs> we will endeavour to do a podcast. Yeah. Or at least a portion of the podcast on the overview of the skeletal system will do a section on the appendicular versus... How long ago did we do skeletal system? Oh, I, I don't think we've ever done it. Skeletal system? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we definitely need to do that. I've got one here from Carolyn. Carolyn, the subject is aneurysm. Oh, fingers crossed you are not having one while you're sending this. This is more... So- no, it- okay, great. I thought it was, help me, I'm having one. And it's just, well... Did you see the, did you see the triple A that I sent you of yes. the... What was it? It was a cross-section of the abdomen. Tell people what a triple A is. Okay, so a triple A is an abdominal aortic aneurysm. That's right. So this is where your abdominal aorta... As opposed to triple H, the rest of them, yeah. So your abdominal aorta is starts at the hiatus of your diaphragm. So yep. you have left ventricle, aorta, aortic arch. Are we going to do a whole new podcast, though? <laughs> Jeez. Curves around and then goes down through your back of your thorax. So that's yes. thoracic aorta. As soon as it comes through your diaphragm, it becomes the abdominal aorta. And that kind of descends down 20-odd centimetres before it bifurcates into two, which would be your yeah, common yeah, iliac. Yeah, yeah, So anyway, it's in the abdomen. In that region, 
there's a possibility of it getting bigger, which would be an aneurysm. But why? But why there? Why there? Do we know why? Oh, one one reason being through chronic hypertension. Right. The sheer forces of the blood that's smashing the back wall of the abdominal aorta. Wouldn't you think you'd be more likely to have it at the You arch? think so. I think it's just the turbulence as it's flying around the arch mm. and then coming and it just smacks the back wall of the abdominal aorta. Right. But good point. You think the thoracic might come first. Anyway, it causes the possibility of re – what's the word? Like um, remodeling. Yeah. And the wall can become weaker. And then that can pouch out. Well, this and one seemed to take up the entire abdomen. So this person presented with like paresthesia of the legs. So right. they, they thought they had tingling of the legs. Wow. And it just took up so much space of the abdomen. Presumably it impacted some of the... Um, oh, how do you even fix that? I'd be so scared. All right. But it's huge. It, was, it would have been the size of a... What's, football. What's that? It would have been... Oh, was, uh, a, coconut? A, yeah, <laughs> coconut. Coconut size triple A. Anyway, Carolyn has asked, I, uh, hello, Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike. Hello, Carolyn. I listen to your podcast and enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, could you do a subject on aneurysm? That's actually a good, good idea. We haven't done one. We should do aneurysms and maybe strokes. Uh, how they start, how to prevent them, and what happens when an aneurysm is dangerously life-threatening. That would be cool because then we can talk about those triple A's. Mm. That would be interesting. And obviously aneurysms in the brain and basically any time a blood vessel Dilate and, dilate and pouch out. Do you have any more? I've got one more. I think you got the one I've got, but you read it. Ramesh? Ramesh. Okay, Ramesh. Ulnar nerve is the subject. Hi, doctors, Matt and Mike. Good afternoon. Well, it is 11.28 a.m. here in Queensland. Uh, so good morning to you, Ramesh. I have some questions about the ulnar nerve. Wondering if you have posted any videos on this. Uh, you have. No, uh, not in the ulnar. You've done the brachial plexus. Yes, I've done the brachial plexus. But you plexus. haven't. Didn't but I continue on too far. No, I only spoke about it as a branch of the brachial plexus. <laughs> That's it, and how to remember it. Um, that was a relatively good video from memory. Um, no, nothing ulnar nerve specific. We haven't gone into our videos and podcasts. We haven't gone into such finer detail as to focus on individual nerves, really. No, because obviously it's never ending. But maybe once we exhaust our list of body systems and uh, particularly important diseases and disorders, we'll probably move on to things like that. However, in our A to Z podcast, we'll get to the ulnar nerve. We're, I mean, it's going to take five a. years. We're still an A. Yeah, it's been uh, four months and we're still an A. Uh, oh. So, Ramesh, watch this space. And we've once covered, you've graduated- we've covered, we've covered little branches of the ulnar nerve already with the, good, some of the adductors of the hand. Good pun. Yeah. But, Yeah. All right. Might be a while. Okay. Listener, thank you so much. If you want to contact us, send us an email. You can go to our website, drmatt.drmike.com.au or you can just email directly gubiosciences at gmail.com. Uh, you can contact us on social media or me specifically at Dr. Mike Todorovic on all good social media platforms. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Give us a five-star podcast rating on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on. Um, and yeah, just... I hope you're well. Look after yourself. Thanks, Mike. See ya.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.